I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. David, take three. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this a, a great discussion on the American healthcare system. Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I got to tell you, when I saw your background and kind of what you're involved in and what you've got going on, I was like, yeah, this is a necessary episode. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I think uh, that I would love to dive into is people's fear about advocating for their for themselves when it comes to their health care and things that they intrinsically believe they need. Um, and I want to get into that. But can you share with the listeners a little bit about who you are, your backstory and what you do? Sure. I am what's known as a healthcare disruptor. I am the person who is in the room asking the questions. I've got close to three decades of healthcare experience, um, everything from being a bedside nurse to a hospital administrator to working in healthcare IT. I've pretty much seen it all. Um, I am a doctorate prepared nurse, which means I hold a DNP degree. And when I got done with school, I thought to myself, what am I going to do with all this knowledge? And I realized the gap between what the average American knows about the healthcare system and what's really occurring. And the problem is that most people don't understand the healthcare system until they have to access it. And that's a very dangerous mentality. So I decided to put this book out to educate the average American on how to stay safe within the American healthcare system. Um, my background and the reason why I became a nurse is I have a, a multiply handicapped daughter that I took care of for years while I was working in manufacturing industry. And I had mad respect for the people who took care of her as I had to access the system. I also had issues with accessing the system, which I talk about in the book. But um, I had mad respect for these people because they were they were so caring. And I thought when I got laid off from manufacturing, I want to do something where if I touch somebody, they, they know it at the end of the day. It, it's worthwhile, and that's why I became a nurse. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is broken in the system is that there's not more consideration for the homeopathic components of treatment. It's, it seems to me that somebody comes in with a, uh, you know, a sore shoulder, and it's immediately x-rays and MRIs and let's go ahead and operate kind of a thing. And to me, that just seems very backwards. I feel like, uh, you know, we jump to uh, Z on the list of treatment plans and courses. And um, it, it seems very financially driven. I mean, what is your perspective on that? What do you think about that? Oh, it's definitely financially driven. So the pharmaceutical industry in the 2020 election gave $43 million across the aisle to politicians. Over a 20-year period, they spent $6 billion in lobbying politicians. So they're definitely trying to get their return on investment. But you're right, more homeopathic 
things like acupuncture, or in my case, recently I had a back injury, and instead of loading myself up on anti-inflammatories and muscle relaxants, I went to a chiropractor, and it worked wonders for me. I had maybe two bad days. So, Well, it's funny you say that, because I was actually just having a conversation with someone this morning about how when I herniated a disc, um, and went end up in the emergency room because I, you know, was like feeling very paralyzed, although it wasn't, it just felt like it. Um, it, you know, the first thing they did was push Norco and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I ended up going to a chiropractor who has been on this podcast. Um, and you know, not only did he fix the issue that I'd gone into the emergency room for, but he also fixed a lot of the other things that were contributing to just poor alignment and general spine health overall. So I, I totally agree that, you know, there are so many alternatives and, and it, it just seems to me that the approach isn't, um, your health and wellness, it's more finances in the pocket. That's, and I see this over and over and over again as example with this whole coronavirus. I'm still asking, why are we not giving out vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc like candy on Halloween? Like, why are we not doing that? Why are we not providing that to, you know, through our tax dollars and things like that for people? I don't understand. Yeah. So we talked about the pharmaceutical industry. They have, great power within this organization, within the United States and the American healthcare system. So when you look at it, every politician goes into office saying they're going to attack high prescription drug prices, but nobody does it. It's a bipartisan issue that they could get a big win for the American people, but they don't do it. So my wife uses and has to have an EpiPen due to shellfish allergies. And EpiPens have gone up 574% in a 10-year period. And wow. 2006, you could get two pens for $90. Today, it sets you back $670 for two pens. Um, wow. The pharmaceutical company blames it on a law that says that, that would that incentivize schools basically to stock EpiPens. But if you have a life-saving medication and you need it, you're going to pay for it. A good example of that is insulin. Insulin costs $300 right. a bottle over here. It costs right. – and it's free in Italy. I mean, that kind of stuff is crazy that we allow that to go on. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And, and what surprises me is, you know, how many people will just, uh, you know, trust blindly the entire – monopoly. And, and I, that's, what's really shocking to me. I mean, I don't understand how, especially after kind of all of 2020 and most of 2021, people aren't like pumping the brakes and saying, well, hold on a minute. Like, like, let's follow the money a little bit here. Let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. I mean, you know, and maybe it's because we're desperate. Maybe we're just a desperate nation. Maybe we have allowed ourselves to get very sickly with the foods that we eat and the pesticides that we put on our crops and things like that. And so maybe we're just desperate. Well, I think we saw um, we saw quite a change in 2020 because when this thing first hit, nobody knew what was going on. There's a lot of misinformation and even some disinformation going on out there. You know, at first the CDC said wear a bandana on your face. Well, a bandana is not going to cut down your, your a droplet infection. You need to have right. an N95 or a surgical mask, which the data shows can cause down the droplet infection. But 
there was so much stuff coming from so many different areas that the average American said, what do I believe? And I really think in writing this book that we need a different platform. We don't need agencies that are tied to the government and are being forced to, you know, cram the government's agenda down our throat. What we really need is we need an independent agency or clinicians that can decipher what's going on and give Americans the best advice possible. And I'm just not seeing that under the uh, under our current system. Right, exactly. I think you're completely spot on that it's it's and you know, I think back to when um the healthcare insurance system kind of modified and changed and morphed and all that. And I know it's been kind of a moving target, but <clears throat> I really feel like that's driving a lot of us of this too, is the insurance component to all of this, you know? Oh yeah. And the insurance companies are doing things to retain their profits that the Medicare and Medicaid can't do. So for instance, not a lot of people know this, but in the insurance company business, um, Medicaid is often sourced out to, to the big guys, United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And uh, recently, um, Arizona's Medicaid population was, was sourced out. So what the big insurance company that was handling it did was they targeted homeless individuals that were costing them more than 50000 in medical expenses a year because they were entering uh, the ER because there's an MPEL laws and things like that. You have to treat people in the ER and, you know, to get their medication or their medical care. And when they singled these guys out, they decided to buy an apartment complex. And they and they said to them, if you'll we'll get you a free room in this apartment complex, We'll have a nurse practitioner check on you, but you've got to quit accessing the system. They saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they were able to give it back to their shareholders. Was it really about the homeless person? Probably not, because if you were a homeless person that was really trying to stay out of the ER, um, you didn't get anything in that model. You had to be spending over $50,000 a year. So, yes, insurance companies are a business, and they're beholden to their stockholders, and that's what they try to do is drive profits. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because as a 5150 responder, I saw this quite a bit, you know, that they would come in on the mental health component of things when really all they wanted was a warm meal and a place to sleep. Yeah, exactly. Which is sad. You know, it's sad that our nation um, is in such a state of disarray that people feel like they have to, you know, fake an illness to be able to have a warm bed, you know. Yep. And, you know, it, social health care equity is just not there. I mean, we saw in 2020 for the first time our life expectancy go down by a year, but it didn't go down by a year for, for everybody. It went down for a year for by for white people. It went down eight months for Hispanics. It went down one point nine years. And for the black population, it went down two point seven years. So you can tell that, you know, it's just, it's not fair. I mean, we're not taking care of people the way we should. Um, and if you have the money, you get good health care. And if you don't have the money, you don't get good health care. Yeah. Yeah, that's really sad. You know, I mean, it just seems kind of backwards. And and I do wonder, too, I mean, at least in California, our, I feel like our problems are much, much different. Like, they're just very unique. And I think it's... um it's really interesting to see how how everything is so intertwined and interconnected and how, 
you know, one thing links to one thing links to one thing. I mean, so if you start tweaking on something, you've got to look at the fall down effect of everything. But it, but at the end of the day, it's just so overwhelming. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just so much. Yep, it is. And, you know, in places in New York City, depending on where your zip code is, just 10 miles away, you know, you can your life expectancy drops 10 years because of the zip code that you live in. So there is some work being done um, out there that shows zip codes and figures out what the social determinants of health are. So maybe you have children that are in school that are hungry all the time or, you know, they're, they're not eating good foods like salads and things. They're going to McDonald's because it's cheaper to eat there and they don't have a lot of money. There, we've seen subsidized food, de- food deserts um, get a farmer's market and, uh, you know, and they subsidize the cost for people so that they can go in there and pick up fresh fruit and vegetables. You know, I've often wondered why we give people, you know, cards instead of giving them like the HelloFresh or the, you know, the Blue Aprons where why don't why don't we deliver meals like that, like entire packages where, you know, not only are they eating well, but they're learning a new skill on how to cook and different things like that. Like, I don't understand why that isn't the way that we do things. I really don't. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too, you know, the, the food supply in this country, uh, you really have to watch what you eat. Um, and even with the Hello Fresh and things like that, I found high fructose corn syrup in the yeah. ketchup. You know, yeah, so yeah. you really have to be selective. If you want to stay healthy, you have to be selective. Well, and I think this is to the point that we've just gotten so off track with, um, you know, with our lives being so busy that fast foods become the norm and, you know, things from the frozen aisle have, you know, kind of taken over the freshness of uh, vegetables and, and home cooking. And, you know, we've just gotten so off track with what we're putting in inside out that it seems like, you know, we're just creating this perpetual cycle of unwellness. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a lot of things. I think it's definitely the FDA lets a lot of stuff in, in to the country that they don't, they shouldn't. So GMO or genetically modified products, Russia banned them. I mean, they're illegal in Russia, but here we're being fed this line of, well, it's going to help with the food supply. Yet they're testing rats with it and rat babies are dying and all kinds of things are happening um, around genetically modified foods. So eating organically, which costs you more money, is better for you than, you know, taking in something that's genetically modified. I have a chapter about being the best you in the book that talks about how you can look at the code on food and know exactly how they were grown. I have a huge garden. Sorry, I was actually taking my vitamins as (laughs) I I have a huge garden. And so um, what's interesting to me is that at one point I can remember I was out camping and people said, well, where do you get the seeds, you know, um, that were camping in the same group site as me. And it was interesting to me how few people in the, in America know where their food comes from, how it's grown, how you grow it. I mean, it's just really perplexing at how that is not taught in school. Yeah. Um, it, and proper diet isn't really taught in school. We get the stuff like, you know, you should be eating more dairy when, when I was younger. And dairy is like the worst thing you can eat. I mean, you know, it's full of fat. Eggs are full of cholesterol. And then we have the meat industry, you know, 
digesting meat is very bad for your, your stomach too. Um, and causes all kinds of problems that people just don't see. I mean, the best thing you can do is stick with a plant-based diet and, and, you know, plant-based diet, there's a lot of good food that you can make. Um, but that's the healthiest thing to do. That's what we're seeing anyway in the healthcare community. So let's, let's switch gears for just a second. Cause I, cause I hear this a lot, um, especially, you know, having had COVID, having advocated for myself and the, and what I wanted to receive from my local, um, physician's office and things like that. Um, how do you encourage people to stand for what they need at the doctor's office or at the hospital? How do you encourage people to kind of fight for their right, um, to receive the treatment that they want to receive, especially if they're doing their due diligence and, and know, you know, Hey, I, you know, I've got this thing and I'd like to try this medication or I'd like to try this or that. How do you encourage people to do that? Okay, that's a great question. So first of all, I would encourage you definitely to read the book because it's full of the strategies that you should use in those situations. The second thing is that the doctor works for you, okay? So he works for your insurance company because they're the payer, but you have control over who you see. And if you have somebody who's not partnering with you in your care, then what you want to do is you want to find a new partner or a new doctor who will listen to you. Um, I actually finished a podcast about a week ago on, on, and we talked about medical marijuana and they, and they were saying, well, a lot of people don't want to tell their doctors that they're, they're smoking pot. And my answer to that was, Tell your doctor. He needs to know your, your medical history. If he judges you for it, tell him that he needs to do some research on it. You're the doctor, right? And if this is working for me, as opposed to taking opioid medications, which we know addicts people and kills them, um, then that's what you're going to do. And so I strongly encourage people to find a doctor within their network to drive down costs that will partner with them and not tell them what they're going to do. It's interesting because, you know, these days I think that people have kind of lost sight of, you know, the doctor used to be somebody in your small community that you knew, you know, and probably saw at the local bunko or whatever. And now, you know, it's like this drive up, you know, telehealth somebody's telling you what to do who doesn't know a darn thing about your life or your preferences, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I see this with women a lot too in childbirth. It's like, you know, I'm just going to go to the hospital and I'm going to have a baby. Well, how do you want to bring that baby into the world? What, what are you, what would you like to have as your birthing experience? You know, and the, the, you know, sometimes you hear that people are doing midwives and things like that, but it's like, this introduction to the world and how this baby comes into the world, it kind of has a big impact on the child, you know, and on the mother and the experience that the mother has during the birth and stuff like that. So it's, it's surprising to me how people just kind of finally like, oh, you know, oh, I'm just going to have the baby when I have the baby and whatever the doctors there is what I get just is what it is. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, because in a study of 11 industrialized countries, um, U.S. women's health, especially in maternity, is the worst. So, yeah, you have we have the greatest burden of chronic illnesses, basically due to our diet. Um, and then we have the highest rates of women who actually skip getting health care. One third of the women in this country skip getting health care because it's too expensive. And when wow. you talk 
Yeah, you talk about maternity. We have the highest rate of maternal mortality because of our complications with pregnancy and childbirth. So as an no example, way. every every time somebody gets pregnant, they, there's 14 people that die per 100,000 pregnancies in this country. And that's half of what Canada has, and the rest of the world even falls lower than that. So, um, you know, we're paying more, like, Women report that they spend 2000 or more out of pocket in this country, and that's 5% of all the other countries, industrialized nations. We have really crappy outcomes, um, and it's not just it's not just women. It's across the board that we have. We spend 179 of the GDP in healthcare dollars, where most industrialized countries spend 87 and we have the worst outcomes. We are dead last in quality outcomes in this country. But wow, is a money-making machine. So let's talk about why that is. So right well, now, and, and and before we do that, can we just touch on one thing that really bothers me, which is sure. that you know we put people on the moon. <laughs> we've developed jets that can break the sound barrier. You know we've um, done all of these incredible things with technology, but we can't cure cancer. I don't, I'm calling bullshit. I don't believe it. I believe they make more money on treating cancer than they do on preventing cancer. Therefore they have no desire to let that cat out of the bag. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Have you ever heard of a position called a pharmacy benefit manager? No, but that's just ridiculous. Okay, so this guy sits in the supply chain between the insurance companies and the pharmacy, and they're usually owned by the pharmacy, by the way, um, and decides what medication you're going to get in rebates and coupons. Uh, and so I had a guy I know who's an oncologist, and he had a stage four um, lung cancer patient who had some comorbidities. So he ordered a certain type of chemo. And the insurance company called him and said, you can't use that chemo. you got to use this chemo. And he said, what do you mean? I'm the doctor. I I'm, I'm want to use that chemo. And they said, nope, sorry. But the pharmacy benefit manager is saying that we can get a better deal on this chemo, and you got to try it first. We're not saying you can't use it, but you got to try it first. So he said, I want to talk to the person who made that decision. And they said, you can't. I mean, these guys are well protected. It's shrouded in secrecy. They're you know, and they're making decisions without medical degrees and doctors decisions because of the financial implications and the money that they can get by using a different drug. That grosses me out. And I've talked a little bit on this podcast. People have heard me say I did a stint in college working for a pharmaceutical company and I was mortified at the bribery and blackmail and just everything that goes on in that industry. I mean, it was really disgusting, like uh, how people will, you know, tuck, tuck, you know, nudge, nudge to the doctor to get them to prescribe this medication. You know, the whole thing is just gross. It's gross. Yeah. And then there's a program called pay to delay. So if you come out with a brand new medication, uh, you can actually have the rights to it for 20 years and then they can make a, a generic version. Well, the big boys will go back to the people who sell the generic versions and pay them off not to make the generic version and modify a compound in it so that they can keep drawing in the profits. It costs Americans $3.5 billion a year. Wow. 
And if you think that that's and if you still want to explore pharmacy, so there is a law on the books and that Medicare cannot um, negotiate prices with the pharmacies. Medicaid can, but Medicare cannot. They're one of the biggest payers in the American healthcare system. And the guy who crammed that law through is actually working for a foundation that's owned by the pharmaceutical companies now, making $2 million a year. So it's dirty, it's sleazy, and it's disgusting, like you said. I just have such a hard time with the whole thing, you know. And I don't even know how to attempt to try and uh, change it. You know, like how, how do we, how as a nation does, do we even modify it? How do we change it? It just seems so big. So there is a change, um, and, and it's being used right now. Um, so currently we're under a fee for service model. So when you show up at the doctor's office or the hospital, um, you're making them money. They get incentivized to order tests on you. They to work you up and charge the insurance companies. Uh, that's why in COVID, when people weren't going to the hospital, we had to pay the money as taxpayers to the hospitals to keep them afloat. But what people don't know is there is this value-based care that is administered by accountable care organizations in which they get money, a, a certain amount per year for you to keep you healthy and out of the hospital. So they're incentivized, like that community doctor you mentioned earlier, to take good care of you to make sure you're in network You'll see people that are enrolled in value-based care under an accountable care organization are getting more flu shots. They're getting, they're getting more preventative tests for glaucoma, things like that, because if they develop symptoms, if they develop a problem, then the accountable care organization has to eat the rest of the cost. I'll give you a real-life example. So my brother-in-law had to have a hip, and he was on something called a bundled payment, which means they paid everybody, they paid a certain amount of money and that was dispersed to everybody that needed it. Um, the surgeon, the place where he got his surgery. Uh, so that, you know, they got a certain amount. They didn't get any more, any less. So what you want to do is keep your cost down. Well, my brother-in-law, they gave him opioid pain medication. Now this guy doesn't even drink. Like he, I mean, he went home and he thought he was having a heart attack. So he got taken to the hospital by the ambulance and. They hooked him up to machines and they did an expensive cardiac workup. And then they sent him home and said it was your pain medication and gave him a lesser pain medication. My sister calls me the next day. She goes, Oh, these nurses are coming out every day to check on him. And it's so nice because it's free. And I said, Well, honey, it's not really free. I said, You know, they, they were getting paid a certain amount and he just cost them a bunch of money by going to the emergency department. But that's the fix. When you're, in, when you incentivize people, to actually keep their patients healthy, then they're going to do that because healthcare, I hate to say it, you know, healthcare is, follows the dollar. It's more about the dollar than it is about anything else. And if you're incentivized to keep somebody healthy and out of the hospital and you're making money doing that, that's the model you're going to use. So if you can get yourself into an accountable care organization and be seen in network by their specialists, that's the way to go. You're going to get much better care. You're going to get much better quality outcomes than if you stay in the fee-for-service model. That's an interesting perspective. I, li I like that. I like how you suggest that. Um, and how can people find these types of providers, do you think? 
Well, the best way to do it is to talk to your doctor. And why I say that's the best way is because if your doctor has 10 people who are saying, hey, I want to be taken care of in accountable care organization or value-based care, he's going to want to get to be a part of that, right? Um, he may not be a part of that, but he can point you in the right direction. The other thing is you can you can Google your local hospital and look for accountable care organizations within their network of physicians and get yourself seen there and dump your doc. So there's there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but I would say do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so what um, your book, where can people get it? And, and it, it kind of provides them steps on how to really start to advocate for their own health care, yes? Yes, and it, it's broken up into three parts. The first part is staying safe in the hospital or in the doctor's office. The second part is about what actually is being paid for by the insurance companies and pharmaceutical industries. And then the last part is how to build a better system. We talk about value-based care. We talk about telehealth. We talk about um, even genetic testing in there. So there's a, it's, it runs the whole gamut. Um, and you can get it on Amazon. I've self-published the book. It's called How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. And so, you know, listeners, I highly encourage if you have any long term conditions or, you know, just want to start to advocate more and take control, better, better control of your health care and the way that you interact with the healthcare system to pick up Dr. David's book. And as always, we do include this information in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today and just being really transparent and honest with your experience and kind of sharing. Um, I know it's a brave thing to do right now to you know, <laughs> to speak out against the healthcare system is, you know, one of those things right now that really takes a lot of courage. So I commend you for, you know, taking that position and that stance. Well, Michaela, I got to tell you, when I first became a nurse, I could affect, um, you know, six people's lives every shift. Then when I went into a hospital administration, I could affect many more lives. And then when I went into healthcare IT, I could affect a, life of a community. And this book is meant to affect Americans all over this country and keep them safe because, you know, learning about the American healthcare system on the fly is not the thing to do. Even if you're healthy, you should read this book. It'll give you advice because you're going to run into relatives that are going to need this advice. Um, and it's written in layman's terms. I want people to be safe and to be healthy. And if they have to enter the system, be educated. Mm. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation, and I'm sure we will have many more as things continue to migrate um, in the world of waking up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michaela. I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.